0: Out on the wide open prairie under the azure sky, where the prairie chickens dance and the quail fly high. There's a new movement as bold as the western sun, brought to you by the folks at Audubon. They've got a seal of approval, both shiny and new, certifying ranches where regenerative practices grew. An emblem of honor for lands rich in life, where harmony thrives and biodiversity is rife. It's not just cattle, it's birds in the air. It's the hum of the ecosystem, the deer in their lair. It's the partnership of purpose between the farmer and the land. A dance as old as time, led by a careful hand. And now here's a twist in this modern cowboy's tale. An ode to the snack that's off the scale. From the folks at Blue Nest Beef, a name you can trust, comes Bobo Link Meat Snacks for a hunger you just can't hush. 100% grass-fed, raised without any fear. No antibiotics, no hormones, just pure beef here. Packed with protein, a mere 70 calories a bite, a handy hearty snack from morning till night. So here's a hearty cheers to the land we adore, to the birds in the sky, and the cattle we restore. To Audubon Conservation and to Blue Nest Beef for putting bird-friendly practices beyond belief. So next time you reach for a snack, think of this rhyme of regenerative practices of a partnership so divine. Pick up a link, savor the flavor and feel of a snack born from lands where nature is allowed to heal. In a world that's hustling, always on the go, lies a humble podcast, a seed we want to sow. Ranching Reboot, we're called, and we're here to change the game. Innovating farming and ranching, never quite the same. We're sharing tales of those who sow, and those who tend the land. From fresh faces to veterans, hand in hand. Stories of our food systems, and folks who lead the charge. Need your help to echo, so their impact can be large. Now here's the deal. You cowpokes true, I need your help to thrive. By becoming a Patreon patron, you help this dream survive. Get exclusive access, bonus content in your hand, and help us keep on sharing the stories of our land. And don't you shy away from joining our online herd. On our Discord server, your voice can be heard. Discuss the episodes, the industry, join the lively talk. We're all in this together, and it's more than just small talk. Now saddle up and ride with us. Let's make this podcast grow. Head over to Patreon and join our rodeo. Join our Discord server, share your wisdom and your art. Support the Ranching Reboot, it's time for us to start. Ride on over to Patreon, throw your support, and join our vibrant Discord chat, let's build a real report. In this rodeo of life, we're all in the same cart. With your help, we'll reboot the thinking, and that's just the start. We've got a guest, special indeed. Nick DeCastro, sowing the seed, of Land Trust, a vision so bright, Ranching Reboots in for a ride tonight. In a world where land's a treasure, next found a way to measure. It's worth beyond crops and cattle, a new sh- income stream to paddle. It's hunting, fishing, gazing at birds, camping under the stars, exchanging words with the folks who produce our daily bread, giving them control, and the city folks, a homestead. He's made it safe, he's made it fair, landowners and guests, an affair, where both sides win, an interaction, a regenerative move, sparking action. It's no easy feat that's plain to see, a chicken and egg conundrum, a bumblebee buzzing around $10 million flowers, working hard, counting the hours, yet a future as bright as Texas dawn. For this concept, we're drawn. Potential in carbon contracts, shared stewardships. possibilities are endless as a cowboy's trip. So grab your hat, pull up a chair for a tale of land, sky, and air, a story of trust, of soil, and toil. Welcome to Ranching Reboot. Let nothing your spirits spoil. Welcome to another episode of Ranching Reboot, your go-to podcast for innovative and progressive thinking in agriculture. Today we're talking with Nick DeCastro, founder and CEO of Land Trust. Nick is here to share his vision for a land-sharing marketplace that's not only connecting private landowners with outdoor enthusiasts, but also bringing people closer to their food sources. We'll discuss how this model is redefining ag tourism and offering new revenue streams for landowners. So buckle up and get ready to reboot your thinking about farming, ranching, and food systems
1: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDIC. Well,
0: good morning, everybody. We're back here with Nick DeCastro from Land Trust. So, um, I guess, it, so I don't screw anything up. Uh, Nick, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and then we can talk about Land Trust.
1: Sure. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, Brian. So, yep, I'm Nick. I'm the founder and CEO of Land Trust. Uh, just for your listeners out there, we are not a conservation easement uh, organization. I know the name could be a little bit confusing at first. Um, we are a for-profit company that helps connect uh, private lands, primarily farmers and ranchers, with recreation income from people coming out and enjoying their land for a day, a week, or or longer. Um, So we're based up here in Bozeman, Montana, but we have about a million and a quarter acres on the platform today of, uh, again, primarily multi-generation farm and ranch families in 30 plus states. So uh, I started the company because I wanted to use it from the Demand side. I was a hunter and fisherman who said, "Hey, there's some beautiful land. I would love to uh, have access to it, and I'd be happy to pay for the opportunity." So that's how it all started. But that's a little bit about me before I before I started the company. I did spend about a decade in enterprise software sales. I worked in the marketing and advertising technology space, and uh, lived all over the country in Boston, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, L.A., Boulder, and then finally came up here to Bozeman at the end of 2016.
0: Okay. What, what kind of prompted the move to Bozeman?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I grew up, uh, to, to some people's chagrin in Southern California. Um, it was uh, a beautiful place to grow up. It was probably 20 million people ago uh, when I left, but, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I grew up hunting, fishing and surfing and spearfishing and all that fun stuff. And I know people think hunting in Southern California. Uh, it used to exist. There was a lot of uh, a lot of deserts with a lot of quail and chucker, And I did a lot of upland hunting. So this is all the preface to say, uh, right before when I lived in Boulder, working on a startup for one of my now board members. And I really liked the mountains, but, uh, you know, Boulder was just not, I don't know, wasn't for me. Um, good technology scene there but you know just a lot of people and even that was like 2014 2015 something like that uh, you could tell it was just going to be a suburb of Denver and I had been to Montana a handful of times growing up with uh, my family fly fishing and whatnot and I said well if I needed some technology because that's a space I work in but I want to live in a place that has uh, abundant recreation uh, Bozeman seemed to kind of be the center of that Venn diagram
0: Okay I mean I can believe that. So um, had you spent any time in Bozeman in the winter before you moved there?
1: (laughs) No I had not and it was a a, a few fly fishing trips we would taken up here were obviously during the summertime. Uh, I think the first day I moved up here was like the 15th of December of 2016 and it was it was 20 to 30 below zero but perfectly clear skies no wind you know. Uh, so I had not been here in the winter, but I lived in Boston and New York and Chicago, some cold places.
0: Well, what's the, I, I, I'm kind of curious now, what's the winter like, you know, compared to get compared to an East coast city. That's, you know, similar, uh, latitude. Um, Boston's cold cause it's
1: on the water. So, you know, I've been colder in Boston and, and San Francisco than I have been in Bozeman, uh, cause it's so dry here the dampness right. i mean shoot i was down on uh, uh doing a couple turkey hunts in missouri three weeks ago on a couple of our farms and you know 40 degrees and rainy and windy down there because it's so damp i was cold you know and i could i shovel the snow in five degrees up here when there's no wind I don't i it's just so dry
0: i think a lot of it is the wind it's the wind for me anyway yeah yeah i could tolerate a lot outside if it's sunny and no wind like $20. I might be outside in a t-shirt if there's no wind. That's right. As soon as that wind starts blowing and it's a little bit damp, you better be piling on the layers. Yeah, well, it's funny. Uh,
1: my wife is from Dodge City, Kansas, and uh, my my brother-in-law still lives down there. And I love that part of the country, except that it's 20 miles per hour sustained wind. during five
0: days a year. Dodge City's an hour and a half away from my place. <laughs> so, I'm aware.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it down there, but that wind gets me.
0: I think, uh, well, they call Chicago the Windy City, but I think I saw that Dodge City is probably, is the windiest city in it is. America. Yep. Fun fact that my
1: brother-in-law told me.
0: Yeah. And it's only, it's, it's just over an hour away from here. I mean, they did kind of name the whole state after an Indian word a Native American word for wind, people of the wind, Kansas. Oh, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah. Kansas, that uh, the Kansas tribe was people of the wind. Wow. All right. Well, Hey, I learned something new here. I'm going to have to talk to my in-laws. They should have taught me that before. And I'm going to have to reclassify this thing as educational now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell me about land trust. What, what is land trust? If it's not a, um, if it's not a conservation easement type operation, what do you guys do? So land trust uh, is a marketplace. So, um,
1: We consider it what we call a land sharing marketplace. Uh, A lot of folks have probably heard of, you know, home sharing like Airbnb or VRBO. There's big car sharing marketplaces like Turo. Um, And essentially these sharing economy marketplaces, you own an asset that you don't utilize all the time. And so there are other people out there that want to be able to utilize it in small increments. Um, so, with Land Trust, we're about land. Hence, land is in our name and trust is in our name, not because we're some sort of uh, real estate investment trust or something like that, but because our marketplace only can function if there is a high degree of trust between landowners and, the, and us, uh, Land Trust, the company, but also landowners and the guests who come out through Land Trust. Um, so, uh, yeah, we work with a lot of farmers, ranchers, and other private landowners who own this incredible asset that sits underneath their feet every day. And there are lots of different types of folks out there who would love to have access to that land to do things they love, hunt, fish, bird watch, camp, RV, whatever. And so we are basically facilitating a marketplace for the people who love to go outdoors and would love to have access to some beautiful ground for themselves for a few days and the people who own that ground and need to generate additional symbiotic income uh, with their day-to-day you know, pr- production agriculture lifestyles.
0: Good stuff, and you know we talk a lot on this podcast about you know the, the businesses of agriculture, and we talk about that. You know, that's Damian
1: Mason's podcast. <laughs> that's the name of his podcast. I saw you had him on.
0: Yeah, I did, and I was just thinking, man, it'd be cool if I had a little button here to hit for you know someone else because I have the one for ranching for profit. I'm sure. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Um, where, where was I? Yeah, You're so, talking about the business of ag. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. A lot of times, you know, we have a land business and we have our production business or we have, you know, our, our crop business and our livestock business. And We don't necessarily see the land business as something always that's separate or, you know, there's a lot of operations that the land business is not necessarily separate. And one thing that's really that's, you know, really coming to be an issue lately with, you know, higher cost of living, higher, you know, inflation going high, all our input costs going high is, you know, we're seeing the reduced profitability in our livestock enterprises and our cropping enterprises. So this is a great way to concessionize some of the other things that you may or may not that you may have on your property that you might not even think about. So let's talk about some of the things. um, I guess, can you tell us some of the things besides just the the obvious one of hunting?
1: Sure.
0: Um, What are some of the things that like some of the services that you can book through land trust besides hunting?
1: So I think uh, you mentioned the land business, and I do want to touch on that real quick. We're really fortunate to have been able to work with a guy named John Hansen. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he was, I think, number two for Ted Turner for 20-something years. Uh, Helped him set up all of his Nebraska stuff. He's a Montana native. Um, Obviously, a wealth of knowledge, uh, getting to run operations like that. But that was one of the things that Ted always had kind of a mandate on, which was ecology and economy. Yes, the guy's worth billions of dollars, but he wasn't going to, you know, burn all of his money on land. They needed to produce, they need to be profitable in cash flow. And so John really brought that whole, you're not in the cattle business, you're not in the grains business, you're in the land business. And those are line items, but so is recreation, so it can be ecosystem services, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he really, you know, shared a lot of that knowledge with us, which we now kind of institutionalize and push out to our landowners. But um, yeah, so from a recreation business Uh, Of course, hunting is where we've focused a lot of our time on since we started the business. But I always knew we weren't a hunting company. We were an outdoors company and a private lands company. And so we have people booking fishing. We have people booking foraging, um, shed hunting. Uh, We're about to launch a big pilot with uh, Keystone RV. So one of the largest RV manufacturers in the country. Because, I mean, if you've been paying attention to that market since COVID, it exploded, people buying RVs. Oh, yeah. And there's nowhere to take them. So, I mean, if you haven't booked something in Montana, like a, you know, a campground or a a state park or whatever, it's not going to happen like a year out, two years out. And so we look at it and say, hey, we have all these incredible landowners with incredible properties. Would you rather go to a KOA or would you rather go to a ranch here in Montana? That's, you know, a few thousand acres, have it to yourself, fish you know, see the beautiful place, meet the family, maybe buy some of their beef that from the ranch you're staying on. So we think we have a really interesting offering to a lot of different verticals of people who love the outdoors and want to be outside. So of course, hunting is that predominant one today, but we're developing these other ones as we,
0: as we speak. Awesome. So you, you said you're on uh you're on Turner's Nebraska ranches, maybe some of his Montana ranches, if I heard that right. They've got one just a few miles south of me, like 10 miles south of me, kind of down on the Oklahoma line. Um, they call it the Z-Bar, the managers down there. Um, I won't name them by name on the podcast, but uh, they are good friends. I've worked with them for a lot of years. We, we work together doing, doing fire stuff, doing grazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're my neighbors. They're just generally good people. And... You're you're absolutely right about Ted Turner, and how he feels about the ecology of his ranches. He does some of the stuff that they do down there. I really makes me raise an eyebrow. Like uh, prairie dogs, prairie dogs. Okay, they belong here. I get that. Yeah. They they kind of you know reduce productivity in area. What? How much do they really take off the you know overall value of a ranch? Okay, if I had a couple right. of prairie dog towns, it'd be two three acres. It really wouldn't hurt a whole lot. I don't have them right now, but I'm not going to go try to reestablish prairie dogs.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't know a lot of ranchers that would.
0: <laughs> like that. That's yeah. one of the things that the Turner folks do is they try to go out and they try to reestablish prairie dog towns where they think they ought to be. Okay, fine. If you own that much money, you have that much land and you have that much money, you can do whatever you want to. But I think what the cool thing is that they're doing, it's not just to bring back, prairie dogs because nobody cares about prairie dogs it's a stupid little rodent right yeah but i think what they're they're really their overall goal for that is to bring back be- black ah, that tongue twisters this morning is to bring <laughs> back the black it footed ferret you know say yeah, yeah, yeah. the black footed ferret which uh got super super endangered and one of their primary food sources for that ferret is prairie dogs Prairie dogs so I think that's their overall goal is to not just try to bring back some of these species, but to improve the habitat for species to reattract keystone biological indicators. Right. And I can even, so for me, what does that look like um, on my land where I've got it? I feel that's like, I don't have a lot of the bottom ground. I don't really have my stuff's kind of like mostly on a ridgetop and steep hillsides. Right. So I'm thinking about more about lesser prairie chicken. Yep, I'm, You know, dad did a lot of work on this ranch, you know, 15, 20 years ago to restore for prairie chicken. I I, I try to keep it in good shape for prairie chickens. That's why, you know, it, until about the first of June, I don't go out till nine o'clock. And if I yep. do have to go out before nine o'clock, there's areas that I avoid because those are prairie chicken priority areas. Okay, so I start a little bit later, missed a couple hours of the nice weather of the day. But those birds are important. We've reduced, we've eliminated and destroyed so much of the habitat for that bird that we've got to protect what's left. Agreed, yeah. So, it's not just the prairie chicken for me. It was, uh, I think it was like 2014, 2014 or 2015, We were we were cruising around down there, and we kicked up a pair of fox yeah now, now fox here in southwest kansas are fairly uncommon rarity yeah like, i could probably count on both hands the amount of foxes i've seen around here in my entire life and still have wow. fingers left over like yeah and i'm just thinking that's probably five or seven times i've seen a fox out here wow. i've seen three mountain lions so that 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 kind of gives yeah. you help yeah, how, for sure. how elusive they are. Well, when we were out in that pasture and we saw the two, it was really strange. Well, we you know we did some research and we talked about it later and we figured out we, we figured that, that was probably a breeding pair mm. of either swift or kit fox, which I don't know, you can't really tell the difference between a swift fox and a kit fox until you get your hands on one. Right. You know, it's like the swift foxes in the West and the kit foxes in the East. And they just yeah. overlap in this narrow little strip right here. There might not even be a difference. Anyway, so, you know, after we identified what they were, we had to do a little bit of research. And we're like, oh, one of their favorite foods is prairie chickens and prairie chicken eggs. Oh. Hmm. So even though that may be like a short-term negative thing on a population... I think it's like an overall indicator of good, of of good health and good system function that we're supporting, not just on my ranch, but in that, you know, in that general overall area that we're supporting a population of birds healthy enough. Healthy enough to have predators, yeah. I have predators of those birds. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that was, I think that was kind of something. I haven't really seen a whole lot of prairie chicken since, but, you know, we've had a couple fires and been in drought for years and that definitely. Yeah, the drought's been been horrendous down there so income streams you talk uh fishing shed hunting other types of hunting um what about some non-conventional stuff
1: yeah so we categorize this as farm and ranch activities so it's a very broad category intentionally but we, you know, my my gut says that this will probably be one of the biggest categories that Land Trust um, facilitates in the future. And we already have some folks who are listing stuff like this, where it's a regenerative ranch tour. Um, I don't know if you know the lens up here in uh, Big Timber, Montana, but a really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. We've met.
1: Yep. So they are doing. They're offering, you know, tours of their ranch where they take producers and shoot, they just had a bunch of investment makers come out there and book something to see how they run a run an operation. Um, you know, I look at it as whatever your imagination could be. Let's say you're in, uh, let's say you're a rice farmer in Louisiana. Well, of course, you're going to have hunting value there for recreation from waterfowl, you're going to have bird watching value uh, there as well. Uh, most a lot of rice farmers down there are also now putting crawfish on their rice too Um, and so you know that production could also lead to what we call a farm experience where maybe it's a you pick uh you know you have folks come out there and do their own crawfish and then you do a boil after like that could be an experience it's almost pure profit uh it's a super fun time like i would book that you know i don't know about you i love crawfish and That would be the type of experience I'd want to do. Obviously, you know, cattle brandings or um, calving or a lot of these things that you and your audience do every day that are just chores are really interesting to people who didn't grow up doing that stuff. Um, And so my perspective is this is one of those things that has so much potential. It's still We're still learning about a lot of it, so I, I don't want to pretend that we have it figured out. We don't have it figured out, but we are working on it. We're working on it with our landowners, and how do you, quote, productize this into offerings that are um, easy for our landowners to offer, profitable for them to offer, and also, I think, really kind of reconnects the non-producing 99% of us in the country with the people who are growing our food, fuel, and fiber, and I, you know, at a high level for land Trust, that's what we really want to drive. Um, we want to drive that reconnection to agriculture. And so what better way than to do it through the actual people who are on the ground and run the operations, you know? So to me, I think that farm and ranch experience, whether it's, hey, this is how we do our, uh, this is how we run our regenerative agriculture operation um we have uh katie down there at kck farm she has you know regenerative chicken farm tours where she'll cook you dinner too and it could be it could be anything it could be like you know baby you know after calving i have three little daughters uh almost four or two and six months but one of the ranches here i got to take my oldest a year ago just to go see the calves and caitlin here who's the rancher you know showed her the calves and talked to her about them and I mean, it was a fantastic time. And my wife posted on Instagram and she had like 10 people direct message her, 10 moms being like, where did you do that? So there's a lot of desire for these things. We are going to figure it out. It's our job. Like we're business partners with our landowners. We make no money as you know, you're, you're a landowner of ours. We didn't charge you anything. We didn't ask you for money up front. We only make money when our landowners make money. So it's our job to go out and Find these market opportunities, develop them, and bring them to our landowners and say, "Hey, you can do this if you'd like to."
0: Okay, that's a that's a good segue. Why don't you tell us how how that relationship between land trust and a landowner? Why don't you tell us about how that how that relationship works and and sure. business? <clears throat> sure. So as I mentioned, we are business partners with landowners. We're probably one of the few
1: people who ever walked down the you know proverbial farm gate. It's not asking you for money or control of your land in some way shape or form so we bring money we bring a revenue opportunity and we keep you 100 percent in control and so um you know let's take hunt- hunting is a very well-defined well-understood thing for your audience so prior to land trust there's a few options you have one is no hunting it's your property you don't want it that's great Two is, all right, we'll allow some access. There's government programs that you could work with that basically allow, you get paid, every state's a little different. In Montana, it's called block management, where it's essentially the state is paying you per hunter day to allow open public access to your land for hunting.
0: Okay, right. That's a, that's an opportunity.
1: I think you guys have WeHaw,
0: right? Yeah, we have walk-in hunting, which I I know nothing about other than I don't yep. participate.
1: Yep, so, you know, hey, it, it is an option for landowners out there. It is an option for them to generate some revenue. But the problem is, is they lose control. So it's the public. So it basically it's treated as essentially like public land. There are st- tiny different nuances there. Um, and then they're prior to us. And still there are what, you know, traditional hunting leases. So, uh, you know, a year multi-year lease where you, someone says, Hey, you have really great ground. I would like to pay you money to own the, own the hunting rights to your property. And so, again, you know, the benefit is um, you might make a nice chunk of change up front and deal with one person. Those are positives. But on the other side, you just kind of sold a property, right? And what I've learned through this business, I didn't come from an agricultural uh, producing family, is that producers, especially owner-operators, value control more than almost anything else. They want to control their operation, their land, their property rights, their business, all that stuff, which I understand completely. And so the idea of selling that right away for a period of time where now your friends, family, neighbors business can't use that resource has led to some people saying, yeah, I'm not as interested in that anymore. And now there's us. So I, you know, I set this, set this up to kind of explain our business model. When trust, there's no selling of a property, right? There's no, you know, we don't do anything, um, where we like give you money and then we go sublease it out. You are directly participating as a lander in our marketplace you choose what you want to offer when for how much what rules are stipulated with it and you at the end of the day say yes or no to anybody that comes in down to you so you have 100 control and it can be for as little as a day or it could be for a full season so again it's all about you retaining your control of your property right for that recreation uh, opportunity and A lot of our landowners really like it because a lot of our landowners have, they themselves or their friends or their family or their neighbors or their business partners do like to hunt or fish or do some of these things. And they'd like to be able to offer that to them, but they still want to generate some income too. And so as opposed to these other options, now with land trust, those landowners can participate with us and list their property with us in our marketplace and they can black out dates. And they say, hey, you know what? That week around Thanksgiving, we have family coming in. That's, you know, they want to come out here. But we can monetize other times of the year. Or we really like to hunt deer here, but we don't care about turkeys. We don't hunt upland birds. We can offer that stuff. Or we like the hunting, but we have fishing. and We have, you know, cool like pad for RVs and we can do that. So it really is whatever you want it to be. It could be one day a year or all year for everything or for
0: one little thing. I think a couple of the ones that I have on there just off the top of my head is I have a beaver viewing tour. Love it. <laughs> it would, uh, I would take people down and show them my beaver ponds and and talk about beavers and what they do. Uh, the other one I think we have that I haven't seen a whole lot of is a um, stargazing experience. Because yep. you know, I've been here on the ranch most of my life. I spent like nine years in virginia beach area yeah yep. i lived a summer in chicago like north end suburbs of chicago not an experience i really wish to replicate a <laughs> lot. um but we take it for granted of how clear the skies are out here in western kansas like that's right for stargazing it doesn't get a whole lot better than barber county i'm a yeah over, we have some place we have some places in eastern
1: Montana that might compete with you a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, it's very rare.
0: Yeah, I, I could believe Eastern Montana has some places. I was just thinking, you know, like Oklahoma City, it's way too far, can't see the lights of it. Yep. Um there's there's just a little bit of little bit of pollution on the horizon. That's about it. And then of course, you know, wind farms, which are just at sea of blinking red on the horizon. Yep. Um but the stargazing, if you want to come out and stargaze, it's I've got a couple of great ridges that you have a, a 180 degree view of the whole sky. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, again, as, as a business partner, here's the partnership. You own the asset, your land. Um, and so that's what you bring to the table, which is the biggest piece. We are nothing without our landowners, of course. Our part of the partnership is building the technology and the platform and then marketing to the demand and facilitating a great experience, a great safe insured experience and as i mentioned obviously you've gotten almost predominantly i think you just got a couple camping inquiries but you've gotten predominantly since by the way you're two days away from your one-year anniversary with land trust so congrats Uh, (laughs) but predominantly you've seen a bunch of hunting inquiries because that's where we've been spending marketing dollars but it is our job because we're aligned we sit on the same side of the table for us to go find these stargazing camping farm and ranch experiences start developing and marketing to those types of customers and that's what we're starting to undertake now you'll start to see more of these different types of activities being marketed to you and now is seeing the demand for that come to
0: you but you uh you mentioned something about well i'll throw it out there about liability Yep, the ability uh i believe you said insurance so Why don't you tell us how land trust helps that issue with, for the landowners? Sure.
1: So liability since day one has always been the biggest question and it makes total sense. Uh, This is again, most of our, our landowners are owner operators. And so this is not only inviting you out to your, their most prized asset, but it's also their home. So, you know, this is an important thing. And I started with hunting. So you're inviting essentially strangers onto your property with deadly weapons, not an insurers, um, you know, dream, but, uh, so that's really where we started was how do we make this, um, a safe, um, insured experience for both parties. So we take a few different approaches here. First, Every guest that would ever come to you through land trust has accepted our terms of service, which indemnifies, holds harmless landowners for any activities they participate in on that property. Um, second, well, at the at the state level, there are about 34 or 35 now ag producing states. And by the way, I think Kansas was the state that invented this, which uh, has ag retainment liability limitation just blanketed. So the states want this type of everything we're talking about here is basically agritourism because it's happening on agricultural operations. So hunting, fishing, birding, RVs, whatever. If it's happening on a working farm and ranch, it's agritourism. The state wants to incentivize this. They want to bring new dollars into these farm and ranch operations. And so they know liability is one of the biggest hiccups or holdups for these producers. And so as long as there's not you know, wanton negligence on behalf of the landowners part, they're essentially blanketing you, protecting you from liability. There are are little different nuances again in all these different states, but essentially that's what these 34 states are offering. Now we get it back into land trust. So they've already held you harmless. We do ID verification um, of every guest who signs up. They can never make a booking request through land trust unless they've been ID verified. So that is we use a third party company to do this. So they're uploading either a driver's license or a passport. They're taking a selfie and whatever the magic they do at that company. Make sure they're a real person and who they say they are. To me, this, and then of course they pay with a credit card upfront. So I think this has been one of the biggest things for landowners. If you look at landowners and hunters historically, door knocking of course is still a thing and it has been a thing for a long time. The issue with door knocking is that person is anonymous. They could be the greatest person in the world or they could be a dirtbag, And you have no way of knowing and you have no recourse if something bad happens. And so that anonymity, we strip that away. It's real identity and you're paying with a credit card. And I don't know about you, but something about human psychology says, when you know who I am and you have my credit card, people just behave differently. Uh, If you've ever booked an Airbnb for friends or family, you're like, hey, I'm the one who booked it. Behave you know, treat this place
0: well. Oh, people, people, even when they kind of sort of belong and you challenge them and ask them what their name is and then yes. ask them, ask to see their identification. Yep. That really, uh, you want to put somebody on the back foot, even if they know they're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, they straighten up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What's your name? I want to see your identification. Yes. Uh, yes. No, I, I want to see your identification. So I know that you are not lying to me about your name. That's right. We're gonna talk about what you're doing here.
1: Yes. So that we handle all that. And by the way, we have people who signed up and then didn't want to do ID verification, didn't want to pay with credit cards, and we said, that's okay. This isn't for you. Um and so we weed, you know, you kind of weed some folks out like that. Um, all right, so now we move into the actual way the you know that it works. So you create a listing, our team. Now is very hands-on. We'll come out and we can talk about, you know, Tom, our landowner success manager down there and our onboarding team here. We're very white glove. We will do it all for you to get you up and running. But once you're up and running and your listing is live on land trust, you'll start to receive inquiries. So, Hey, you know, let's just say, Brian, you offered upland bird hunting, you'll receive upland bird hunting inquiries and it'll say, Nick is interested in hunting October 15th to the 20th for, you know, $2,000 for him and a couple of friends. You can message back and forth with me once I've made that inquiry. You can talk to me on the phone and feel me out. Now, your phone number is not being given out. None of your information is out there. This is all happening through the platform. If you opt to say, hey, I'd, I'd like to chat with you first, you can do that. And then you can accept or decline that booking request. There is no instant booking. This is not like a hotel. People aren't just gonna come in, like book your place and show up. Everything is a request and then you decide based off your conversations, if you want to allow or not allow. So now we'll move into once the booking happens, you get to rate them and they get to rate you just like Airbnb or VRBO or Uber to, you know, all these other marketplaces you've used. Well, so I haven't used
0: them, but there's probably a lot of guys that are that definitely are thinking about this and listen to the podcast. They're like, what the hell are they talking about? So, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a two-way rating system. Right. Correct. So, yes. So the landowners, we get a chance to rate the people that are coming out to do these, do these. That homes. came out. Right. Yes. And they, yes. and then they in turn get to rate us. And I imagine it's one of those things that if a guest gets too much negative feedback, they'll never book him again.
1: <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know any, I don't know many landowners that would have a three star rated guest on their property. So, again, the, all these things, transparency and ratings, this is what marketplaces are so good at, is making it efficient and safe uh, and trustworthy to transact versus like a random Craigslist person or someone knocking on your door, you know, again. So, and now we get into the, you know, liability stuff. <clears throat> we offer um, personal injury. So, if a guest comes out, even though they've held you harmless and they technically are liable... If they step in a gopher hole, speaking to gophers, uh, and break their leg, and again, from a contract's perspective, they're liable, but if they were to make a stink, they can come to us, and we'll cover up to $10,000 of their medical bills. Then there's property protection. So again, the guess is liable, but if for whatever reason, they're making a stink. They break a gate, the famed shoot a cow, that's a question I've been asked since the beginning of starting this company. It's still never happened, knock on wood. But if they did, we'd write you check for it, if they didn't take care of it, even though yeah, they're liable. They should be the one who's paying for it, but we will write the check if not, because our, our relationship with our landowners, our business partners is too valuable. And then we have a million dollar general liability policy. That's a backstop. So it's not first dollar coverage, it's last dollar coverage. Uh, I've learned a lot about insurance since starting this company. Um, so, now we are also partners with the farm bureau in kansas montana uh, nebraska oklahoma north dakota so all the states that we're launching we are member benefits and the farm bureau often offers um what they call like agritainment uh agratainment writer so it's a couple hundred bucks a year and it's first dollar coverage but i but i will often come back to asking this question to landowners who are really concerned about the liability aspect and i say is anyone that's not your, your family coming out on, have they been out on your place recently for anything? And well, of course, people come out to their place to do all sorts of stuff. Well, they are more exposed
0: doing that than they would be through land trust. I can see that. It sounds like, you know, there's a couple places where you guys are paying for, you know, double insurance or extra insurance. Right. Because you want to, just because you want to protect the landowner. Of course, that's right.
1: So it is, and we will look, nothing's perfect. Anyone can sue anything at any time for any reason. So, you know, that's just the reality of the world that we live in, unfortunately. But we have found that, again, we have a million and a quarter acres on the platform. A lot of people have said, yes, this is pretty comprehensive. And we'll continue to grow and, and make our insurance products better and better and trust and safety and all these things will, that's so important to marketplaces. It's in our interest as a business to do these things.
0: Awesome. Um, so you said you were in thirty plus states. I'm not going to make you list them all, but it, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> is there a reason? Like, are is there is there things that would keep you from expanding to certain states, or are you looking to serve the whole the whole fifty states or lower forty eight?
1: Sure, that's a good question. So, no, it's, there's no reason we haven't. Uh, two-sided marketplaces like the one that we're building where you have to build the supply and the demand and facilitate it are very difficult businesses to get up. And There's the chicken and the egg problem in the beginning, right? Buyers don't want to be left and sellers are there and vice versa. So, it's they're notoriously hard to start, but they're really great businesses once you get them going and the flywheel starts spinning. Um, so, really, it comes down to just focus and capital and time. So, you know, we are a young company. We, we have just, you know, raised in the last few years, we just finished our Series A financing. So we've raised just about 10, or $9.5 million, $10 million for the company to date since it was founded in 2019. Um, and, you know, while that sounds like a lot of money to do the things that we're doing, it you know, it will take a lot more than that to continue the growth. Um, so, no, we will absolutely be in every state we we have aspirations for you know other countries and continents um we believe that there is a you know a global
0: market for this but the you know we're very focused on the US today perfect perfect so i was i was thinking about you know we were talking about you know the communication so it was like you said i have been on a platform for right out of a year i guess it was just right out of a year ago when tom was out and we were May 10th yep. is when you went live yeah wow Yep, two days. You know that stuff better than I do. Um, was a uh, he got me with Tom.
1: Up. Yep. Yeah. So Tom came out.
0: Okay. Yeah. So what it was um we we didn't really have a whole lot of inquiries, and we kind of got down into fall. And I, I think I talked to you about this. Um, mm-hmm. We emailed back and forth about it a little bit, or somebody in support. So I had somebody contact me on the platform Mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we traded a couple of messages back and forth and then they said, well, we want to do this, even though it's against the, the land trust user license agreement. (laughs) Yes. I do remember that contract and maybe contact us off the platform. Yeah. I'm sorry. My red flag goes up right there. Like the whole point as it should, Yes. You know, we're, we're doing this transaction through a platform because I don't know you and I don't trust you. And you want me to like say, okay, I'll make you a deal outside of the agreement of this platform we're talking about <clears throat> and I'll take our business off this platform. That's right. I, I don't think so. Um, it's my understanding you removed that person from, you removed that individual we did. From the platform. We did. And I think that's, you know, whether or not you know that guy might have been a surgeon with millions of dollars and thousands of friends but i don't think that's the kind of that's why people knocking on doors get told no that's right it's yes because people are not honest and they aren't up front when you're wanting to when you're coming at me immediately wanting to change parameters and say well we're not going to abide by this license or this user agreement because we want to do this like um no no Yeah. Yeah. That was a,
1: that was an interesting, I ended up calling him. Uh, He was a lawyer and he could be a nice guy. It was just very, it was a very lawyerly approach and, and uh, Hey, we are very hands-on again. I'm your business partner. These are people that we're bringing. So I'm, I directly became involved in that. Our customer service talked to you and Tom talked to you, our lander success manager. So, you know, I spoke to him and I, I, we see this very rarely. I can think again, kind of like you with the Foxes. On my on two hands, I can probably remember the times that this has happened. And then, yeah, the, we, we banned that person from the platform because they wanted to not abide by the rules of the platform and they wanted to take things offline. So we keep a very close eye on that. It happens very rarely. But when it does, again, you didn't get to just book your place and show up. It, it was a request. And, you know, we handled that.
0: So just... Just after that, I ended up booking with another gentleman that came down and like it was his first experience booking with land trust. It was obviously mm-hmm. my first experience. So it was it was kind of a learning thing. Um it it wasn't, I'm not gonna say that Tom gave me this impression, yeah. but I thought I was gonna be more of a kind of a hands-off type situation, which yep. I suppose with some more communication from me before the before this group showed up, it could have been. Um, but I didn't. I ended up spending a few hours with them, several phone calls, but like ah, go over here, you know, go over here in the morning and try for some birds over here in the morning. If you don't get them over there, go to this other spot.
1: Sure.
0: Um, but overall, I mean, it was, it was a good transaction. There were good guys. Um, they're going to come back. We already talked about them coming back for awesome. a little bit longer next year, doing some more hunting. Um, Yeah. They, um, the first spot, they, the first spot they went and walked with their dogs. They didn't, didn't hardly see any birds. Um, and then they got in touch with me and I I moved them over to another part of the ranch and like I think they tagged out within two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thomas
1: said your place is a is a beautiful, beautiful place for Upland Birds. Yeah, and you know it's good. Look, we are working every day to make this product and service for our landowner partners as easy as possible to use. We are not. Where you know, as the founder, I'm our, our I'm our product's harshest critic. You know, it's I can see in my mind's eye what it should be, and of course, it takes time to build to these things. So we take feedback from our landowners constantly. Like, hey, how can we make this easier and better for you? Um, one of the things that we do now with the onboarding process is, and, and I think Tim, Tom did this for you. and We keep keep mentioning Tom. Tom is our landowner success manager in Kansas, so he actually goes out and he visits every single landowner we have he'll take photos of your property he'll build digital maps of your property and you know then arrival instructions so all the stuff that you would tell you know without land trust if you said yeah you can come out and like the conversation you'd have with them hey you're going to want to get here like this you're going to go two miles past this sign and make a left whatever and then the instructions you'd give to them if they came out to go bird hunting on your place We try to capture all that at the beginning now with our onboarding so that it is, you know, once you accept somebody's booking, they get basically this packet um, via an email that has the digital maps of your property with waypoints where, hey, you can park here. This is a no-go zone. You know, there's deer stands here, here, and here. Here's a trail, whatever. All those things that you would mark off on a paper map for somebody if they came out to your place. We now do that digitally because most you know hunters and most people who do other outdoor recreation use digital maps at this point, point. and then the arrival instructions. And we're going to continue to improve those things because we really did build land trust for a complete do it yourself experience. So some of our landowners who've earned the most money on land trust over the last few years have met very few of their guests because they're busy. They're producers, right? They're growers and they've got other stuff going on. So we want to build and design our product and service for no touch, you know, hands off. And then we do see a lot of producers who do like to actually, you know, show people around or, you know, whatever they might want to do there.
0: Okay. I was, um, I was listening to you talk and you, you talked about the booking packet and like, like we said, you know, it has been a year since, since I was on board on the platform and I had a couple booking yep. last fall and it hasn't, it hasn't been terribly active for me. probably a lot of that's my fault because i don't promote it i'm I'm, yep i'm the second worst person on planet earth about self-promotion and anybody that's listened to the podcast (laughs) or followed my social media for more than a couple of months probably knows that (laughs) so um how do i how would i uh how do i how do i do the qa on the on the booking packet that you send out like to make sure that it's so I'm familiar with what you're sending them and, yep. excuse me, a little frog in my throat. So how do I QA the booking packet? How do I know what you're sending them? So I'm familiar with where, where, where the land trust system is going to be, of, of how they have the experience set up. Y- you get what I'm trying to ask, right?
1: Are you asking about the marketability or like when the on-site once people show up?
0: I'm asking about like, so after we get through all the communication and and we, and they make a booking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you book with me. Okay. Yep. So the, the system sends you the quote booking packet. We just kind of talked about, you know, with instructions. Yep. How do I, as a landowner, is there a way for me to be able to look at that booking packet to do quality assurance on it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, this is, I guess we should probably explain our landowner success team real quick because I think this is the key to it. So, look, we understand <clears throat> that this could seem daunting to get started. And again, we're talking to owner operators, so very busy people. In light of that, we want to do as much of it as we can for them. So, if it's interesting to you, we'll have a landowner success manager come out and visit like a real person who works for us. We usually hire them from those communities um, and they'll, they'll bring it to speed. They'll talk to you about it. They'll answer questions, etc. But those landowner success managers, their job title is very descriptive. It is their job to make sure that you are successful because that is how we make money. You don't make money unless you're not, unless you're successful. So in the scenario like this where you said, hey, you know, we had our first guest come out and, you know, I actually like to have people park here and I probably want to add some instructions about this. And if they're coming out to bird hunt, here's roughly what I would tell folks to do. That is something that you could easily, um, you know, just text or call your lander success manager or someone here at customer service or landowner onboarding. And we will, d- we will add all of those things to your listing so that the next booking that comes through, all those updates are pushed out. So if you are if you have something like, oh, I wish we could just change something change something here, add something, um, after booking, you just you can text us, you can call us, um, and we'll add those things into your listing. Okay.
0: So without telling me who they are, can you sure. like, give me an idea of what some of the what some of the income potential is, like say sure. for the top five properties?
1: Sure, we have landers who've made I think, dollars to $50,000 with us. Um, so we're, and this is, when I talk to investors, I have to paint the five-year, 10-year horizon for the business. That's just with hunting as one activity. So as you know, and as your audience probably knows, hunting is a state-regulated activity that has certain dates that you can actually hunt. Um, So we have actual hard windows where you can monetize access to your land to go hunting. Well, as a marketplace operator and a business partner of yours, I want to give you the opportunity to to, to make money year-round, of course. So, as we get into these other activities like fishing or you know bird watching. By the way, bird watching is a forty billion with a B dollar industry in the U.S. a year. It's way bigger than hunting. Uh, but fishing, bird watching, farm and ranch experiences like we've spoken about earlier, RVs, these now are unbound by the state regulated seasons. and now you can choose to monetize, you know and offer packages year round through land trust. So hunting is definitely a, a solid revenue driver. Again, we're on average three, five, seven, ten thousand dollars a year. Obviously it depends on the property and all that kind of stuff. so I'm not saying universally uh, that that's the earning income potential. Um, but it, it is a high revenue driving activity. But we are going to be bringing um, other activities onto the platform and driving demand for those things so that you can generate income from land trust year round. Uh, So I I expect to see our our really well-performing landowners doing $100,000 plus lifetime.
0: Awesome. Hopefully I can start working towards that level from where i'm at real soon
1: <laughs> you have yeah so you have a phenomenal property and uh you know we've looked at it. tom and i've talked about it a lot and, and this is it's our job to go match demand to your supply that's it that's our job so you know we've been evaluating a few of these places and like hey this is an incredible property what's up here basically like qaing that like why is Alexander not booking a lot more because we know what the property is and what it has to offer. So that's our job to go figure out, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. your job, our job. That's part of our part of the partnership. I get it. I get it. Now I will say that the one thing we ask of our landowners is that they're responsive. And I know in the beginning you were super busy, I forget what time of year it was, you know, roughly around this time of year. And I don't know if it was, you know, planting or whatever was going on. You're very busy, which we totally understand. So the one thing we do ask, and you've gotten super good at this now, but like being responsive because people make inquiries and they die on the vine essentially, if they
0: don't get responded to in a certain amount of time. Or, or I would respond almost immediately. Yes. You know, I, I would get an inquiry about, about a thing, like so yep. inquired about, blah, blah experience for such and such date for a few yep. like, okay, great, cool. I respond like, and they ask a question, I respond or, you know, they've just made the inquiry. So I say, well, okay, how many people? Yeah. And they never get a response. Like, okay. So that person, that person ghosts me. And then, um, we just, had I just had a situation like it's actually kind of just went on over the last few days. So I had the, yep. uh, Somebody messaged me Saturday morning, right? And I saw it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm out feeding cows. I'm on my of course, phone. yeah. I'm on my phone. I guess this is this would be my biggest criticism of of the land trust platform, right now. For sure, yeah. In order to respond, I have to go to the website. The website, yeah. And that's not the that's not the most. Streamlined process. You're totally right. On a phone. Yes. You're totally right. Uh, So, a lot of times, like, if I see that inquiry, like, okay, that's an email thing that gets to wait until I get back to the office. Yep. So it did. And I get back to the office and it's this guy asking about phishing. I'm like, and I look at the date and I'm like, it's today. That's today. <laughs> yeah. I, I message yeah. him back real quick and I'm like, I I don't accept same day. I don't accept same day bookings. He goes, no, this is yeah. for tomorrow. I'm like, well, the date says for today, and I ended it shows up was the wrong date. Yeah, I ended up like letting that one go. It was just, it it just didn't really feel right about it. Like plan ahead a little bit. Yeah, for sure. You know, no, if no, you want to book it's a, it's a same day, knock on the door.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, and you know, what I said earlier, as the founder, I'm our product's harshest critic. Uh, this has been making it as easy as possible for a landowner to respond and engage is what we're working towards. Obviously a mobile app where you got to push notification and you can tap it and respond. That would probably be pretty good where you're not having to like click a link and log in and whatnot. We're also working on the potential for you just to be able to respond
0: via the text message you get the notification from. That That's what I was going to say. Like when the yeah. system the system says hey you got a message from this guy instead of saying that just saying yes the message from this guy you can text here to respond or click this link to respond on the website
1: so text messaging we've we've really found that our our farmers and ranchers like text the best so it is literally in our development queues is this is confirming by the way everyone is listening to live uh customer research um (laughs) partner research but we're going to probably, instead of going the mobile app direction immediately, of course, we'll have a full mobile app at a, at a future date. But we know that our landowners prefer text over every other basically type of communication over email, over phone calls. Generally speaking, for these kind of transactional things, we're always here with phone call away, but you can deal with it at your time. You don't need a lot of cell service where you would with an app. Like You can fire up a text message with very little cell service, whereas if you're trying to load an app, you're like, well... Oh, it's not going to
0: happen out here. Ignoring a text message from somebody I don't know stresses me out so much <laughs> than ignoring a phone call from a number I don't recognize. For sure, yeah. So you do like the text message.
1: You would be like, hey, if I could just respond via text or accept a booking or decline a booking via
0: text, that would be thumbs up from you. Yeah, I, that that would definitely be a good feature. And, you know, you're, yeah, app, apps are great. Everybody loves apps. The problem is, you have to build an app for iPhone, and then you That's have right. to build an and app, app Android. for Android. You yes. have to make them both work with a with a unified database on the back end, mm-hmm. and every and then every feature you want to put on that app costs a big pile That's of right. money. That's right. And I don't know how much it's affected you, but you know, a year ago, money was still free. And now it's not, <laughs> and it yes, like, yeah. Like well, like uh, changes on social media. I've been talking about this for a while, and it was back in January when I really started to notice it. Probably around the end of January, I all my social media feeds, especially Facebook. Facebook got horrible. It went from yep, you know, seeing a lot of content you want to now. It's two thirds of your of your Facebook feed is all sponsored content ads. It's all ads, and like you know what Elon Musk has done over at Twitter. You know, yeah. they had to cut yeah. a lot of staff that weren't doing anything, and they've had to find ways to make money. People are like, "Oh, I'm not paying eight bucks for a check mark." Well, you might not want to, but I will because <laughs> yeah, but someone will. Month, yeah. Eight dollars a month for credibility—that check mark on Twitter. That's right. Actually, really increased my reach. If you're a yeah. famous person that's bitching now that you have to pay eight dollars for your check mark shut up you just made a million bucks in a movie right. I don't want to <laughs> yeah <that>. totally <laughs> so what i'm saying is like you know a lot of revenue models changed and you know it that probably isn't affecting you and your business like it is affecting you know, some of these other businesses that are cash heavy and not very cash flowy
1: well it, it and this is the world i used to work in so i worked in uh, digital advertising and social advertising for a decade and really early on in the YouTube days and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Consequently, it's why I don't personally have social media anymore. The company does, of course, uh, but I haven't had social media personally since 2015, I think. Um, so I'm a real person. Some people get weirded out when people don't have social media. I have LinkedIn, which I don't know. That's a bit, I don't really look at that as social media. Uh, I mean, I know technically it kind of is, but.
0: I, I feel like LinkedIn is LinkedIn isn't as well defined as the other networks. I mean, as, as TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, as far as what, what, what kind of voice people are talking in and how the interactions are, I think that there's still a lot of folks trying to, trying to figure out what's okay and what's not okay on LinkedIn and figure out what works well on that platform and what doesn't.
1: I use it just as a business connection. I've done, I've raised a lot of money. I've sold a lot of deals. I've connected with a lot of partners for the business. I don't really produce content quote on LinkedIn, but you know, I think these platforms versus something like Trust or a marketplace platform, those platforms, you know, Instagram and, and Twitter and these things, they make money from ad revenue, generally speaking. Now, as you mentioned, Milan is switching that and trying to have some other subscription models, but any business where you're the user you're the product they have to make money off of you whereas a, a marketplace like ours you no know, there's a clear value exchange and there's a the dollar associated with it so we're not stressing out like you know hey it's 400 bucks to come out and hunt birds for a couple of days with your buddy uh, at Alexander Ranch or whatever the price is and that's a very clear value exchange um, you know thankfully we're not in that ad supported business where yeah they're they're fig- trying to figure out ways to generate income because you know it's been a, a huge shift in the last two years.
0: Well, it could segue into into the revenue share model. So sure, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Nope. It's, I want to throw out what that's a reference to, but I don't think, I think it's so obscure. Nobody will get it. <laughs> Robert Heinlein's uh, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. No, I, I, that is it's uh, it's obscure for me. <laughs> All right, I, I knew it would be a little bit of obscure. So, how does how does how do you fund operations at Land Trust? Sure. So, we'll talk about
1: the business model between our landowners and us, and just how how does Land Trust uh, Land Trust generate revenue? So, we facilitate the marketplace. We're, we're a market maker. Um. A booking comes through. Let's just use really round numbers, easy numbers. So let's just say it's a thousand dollar booking. Uh, you know, you offer a deer hunt on your property in the fall and it's a thousand dollars for three days for two guys to come out. Super easy numbers, right? So that package will be on your listing and someone who wants to do that package will book it. And so when they make that booking, we charge a booking fee to the guest. So, that helps us pay for insurance and operations and credit card processing and all that stuff, right?
0: Is that a set amount? It's a it's a percentage.
1: So it's fifteen percent as a booking fee uh, to the guest. So the booking will actually be eleven hundred and fifty dollars instead of one thousand, and then we charge a fifteen percent commission to the landowner. So you keep eighty five percent of it. We keep fifteen percent of it. Um, we do have partnerships with like the farm bureau so in states that were farm bureau member benefits it's actually a 90 10 split so you get five percent more uh, of the earnings um, than just our standard rates so that's how land trust in most marketplaces generate you know revenue and income is through um, you know booking fees and commissions um, and then you know how we fund our operations we are a venture uh, capital funded company as i mentioned since 2019 we've raised I don't know, roughly $9 million to grow the business. Um, With these companies, they take money, you know, capital investment up front to get started, but then they can become very profitable, but it takes time to get to that place.
0: Okay. So with the, let me see if I've got, uh, if I've captured this correctly. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm selling a deer hunt for a thousand bucks. Yep. Okay. Bob comes in and books that. Yes. He's going to end up paying eleven fifty. Yep. Okay, and I'm going to get eight fifty, and Land Trust gets yep. the rest. Yeah, I get we get that spread in between. That's correct. Okay, I, I mean I so think that, that's, that's reasonable.
1: Yeah, it helps us pay for acquiring Bob. Like, how did Bob hear about us? Probably through advertising. So we have to spend money to acquire Bob. I mean, our credit card processing fees are three percent, so that comes out of our take too. Insurance keeping the lights on, paying
0: customer service, customer success, landowner success, all that stuff. You got to pay for Tom's coffee and donut habit. We do. We do have to pay for that. Yep. Yep. Cause he does, he does like his coffee and donuts in the morning. <laughs> so what are, what are some things that you won't do? What are some activities that you won't touch? Mm. So generally speaking, um, everything that we do has to be
1: symbiotic with, you know, let's call it a rural undeveloped lands production agriculture. So, um, you know, there's the recreation business, what we've talked about. I think, uh, Brian, you might've spoken to our COO. We're actually working on some regen and uh, some programs that touch that because we have a big landowner footprint now um, and it helps make more money. So land trust really is just about generating more income for the farm and ranch. Today we do it through recreation, but we may do it through some other opportunities too. We're not going to ever do anything that is, does not fit in well with an agricultural operation or lifestyle. So uh, we would never come to you and say, hey, there's this opportunity to put, you know, 2,000 acres of solar panels on your place. I'm like, Because once you do that, there's not really an opportunity to do some of these other things. Um, you know, if it if it doesn't jive with a farm, ranch, daily operations, we probably won't talk about it with you um we, we want to be creative and we want to bring you like i said farm and ranch experiences hey what do you do on a daily basis like maybe people following you around doing your chores is interesting and people will pay you to do that you can always say no to anything that we bring to you um but yeah i don't know we just wouldn't do anything that doesn't fit in well with not just an operation but also like the lifestyle um of a farmer ranch
0: okay okay
1: we wouldn't we wouldn't allow a like a, a PETA conference to <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that in all seriousness. We wouldn't allow any sort of activism or, you know, something like that to ever be uh to happen on our platform. We actually have stuff in our terms of service that says, you know, no
0: nothing, you know, from a booked experience can ever be used for anything like that. Well, I don't know. A PETA pla- a PETA conference might be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how many people showed up and how far back in the uh, back of the <coughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had something else written down here. Where we go? I know I got a scribble notes too, or I forget. Uh, one one of the hardest things for me has always been knowing what to charge somebody when they sure. want to come hunt deer, when they want to come fish, or when they sure. want to, come, you know, run their dogs and look at birds. It's knowing what to charge. And, and, and I totally get not every ranch is, is created equally, right? You know, right. I, yeah. you know I, I mostly have ridgetops and some steep hills. I don't have a lot of big flat bottom ground. Um, sure. Got a couple of decent creeks. I don't have any rivers. There's, sure. not, there's not a bunch of wheat fields or food plots or alfalfa fields on the ranch. So just a few miles away um, down the river bottom, there is you know yeah. good areas so you know the perceived value is is higher so like there's a lot of guys down on the river that I feel have well I I open the door so I'll say it, that maybe have like inferior deer or they have lower sure. quality deer than I have out on my place sure maybe they're a little bit thicker but it's a little harder for me to sell because you know you get these deer hunters from back east that think that you know deer need trees and they come out to right and like well you don't have any
1: trees
0: <laughs> yeah you don't have any trees where are your deer and he, yeah, you see that little shelter belt <laughs> <laughs> yeah you tell so. you see those trees up there eh, those are the trees i mean yeah it, it's hard to i i don't know what it is it's like people watch these deer shows on you know the outdoor channel or whatever and they yeah. they just listen to these guys and they don't open their eyes you know when i've got grass that's three feet tall through the deer hunting season right and the deer have evolved to be the exact color of that grass you can't see them when they're laying down in it no i mean they're they're literally invisible yes those same brown deer when they're walking in front of a green cedar tree you can see that okay yeah Yeah. i We talked about this a couple weeks ago with my friend Greg. I've been cutting and burning cedar trees for literally 35 years. The bane of your existence? Not quite, but they're close. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I could count on one hand and have four fingers left over the amount of times I've ever seen a deer underneath a cedar tree. The one time... I've ever seen a deer under a cedar tree. It was a very young doe deer. She was curled up underneath a cedar tree in a thunderstorm. Yeah, which that's not a bad place to be in a thunderstorm. Totally. Uh, but that's that's the literally the only time I've ever seen any evidence of a deer laying down under a cedar tree. Now I've run over several deer out in the pasture, my side by side. Like, like yeah. that's happened. At it down. Yeah. That's happened at least three times. So the argument that cedar trees are good for deer or that cedar trees make good deer habitat i see absolutely no evidence to support that but that's that's a lot of the attitude that i've gotten over the years it's, oh well, you don't have any trees so you don't have any, don't any timber yeah God, yeah you don't have any timber like well there's an oak tree right there there's a walnut tree right there would you rather yeah. it be an open area full of grass in between or full of elm trees that nothing eats
1: right and that it has no understory, has no, <laughs> no food below them. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah, so the... yeah, I think you, you got to, and this is all feeding from the pricing conversation, right? Yes. So luckily I scribbled notes because <laughs> I track too. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really good question. So first we want to acknowledge that one, we are kind of market making. So yes, from a hunting perspective, annual leases have existed for a long time and it's fairly understood, but we're talking about as little as a day. So I could book your place for a three or whatever you want to offer, but I could book your place for a three day deer hunt. This is a new market that we're actually putting in, you know, onto a platform. So the, the, the real answer is we don't know yet truly what the pricing should be. Um, now, we, we are starting to learn more. We have a data scientist here. We, we watch a lot of uh, bookings go through the platform. And as we get more and more, we'll be able to give you true market pricing. That is a little ways off. So today, you know, we're we're totally honest when we onboard pricing is much more art than science. And what I will say is to the landowner, price it in a way that will make it worth it to you. So, you know, we have a minimum. So landowners can say, hey, listen, I don't want to do anything daily. I want to do a minimum of a week. I want to make at least, you know, five grand for a handful of guys to come out and hunt deer for a week. That's what makes it worth it to me, regardless of whatever the market price may be. Um, so it's more art than science today. Um, price it in a way that is worth it to you. And it, look, if you price it at a million dollars for a week, probably no one's going to book it, you know? Um, so that's up to you. We'll always come back to you and have suggestions based off what we see across the market and what that specific property, this is one of the big things landowner success managers do. They go get boots on the ground and they will look at these places. And so it's like, Hey, it's not about acreage per se. Um, it's about, from a hunting perspective, food, water, and shelter. And, you know, that's what hunters look at when they see properties. And guess what? Three foot tall grass is kind of shelter. <laughs> so um, it, 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 so we will help you. You always choose. It's your place. It's what you're offering. You choose the prices. But we can help and make some pretty educated guesses off of what we're seeing the the market around you do.
0: I remember from when Tom was out here a year ago. He had a good idea what he was looking at and what would be valuable and what wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I, and I can imagine he's only gotten better over the last year.
1: For sure. Cause Tom was real new. I mean, it's funny. Colton uh, was my first employee here at Land Trust and Col- I found him right out of college and Tom is Colton's dad. So Tom now he retired from a career and Uh, flooring and now does this job I think it's like his passion project but uh, yeah uh, he has gotten a lot better he's put on a ton of ground, visited with a ton of folks in Kansas, that's his market and now he's starting to dip into Missouri and then listen, as we develop new types of demand like hey stargazing or bird watching or farm and ranch experiences, it's his job to go and say hey Brian, we got these new things, are any of them interesting and you can say yes or no so that's our job to constantly bring you opportunities that you can say yes or no to.
0: Cool. Cool. Okay. Uh, so if somebody wants to get started with land trust, where do they go? And what's the process like?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, so obviously our website is a good place to go. Uh, that's just landtrust.com um there's a landowner section so if you i'm looking at it right now so if you go to landtrust.com and along the top bar there's a green for landowners button and that has a lot of the information we've talked about here um there's some videos or some testimonials it just covers a bunch of what we're doing actually refreshing this page currently so in the next couple weeks this will look a little different and i'll have some more we have a lot of landowner testimonial videos of folks who've been with us for years now so that's a really great place to start um from there you or you could just call us or text us so uh that number would be 406-709-8450 real life human beings are here on the other end of the you know, of the line if you prefer texting you can shoot us a text you know definitely tell us that you you heard about it, that you heard about us through this podcast we love hearing where we're hearing from folks um and uh text, phone, uh, phone call. You can, you know, give us your email. We'll reach out to you whenever it works for you. So we're extremely service oriented. Hopefully Brian, you felt that like we are hands-on. This is not some big Silicon Valley tech company that there's no human beings on the other side. We are
0: very service oriented with our approach. I think the way Tom sold it to me was we're just a small startup company of guys that like to hunt out of Montana.
1: Yep. And we, and we, we love our farmers and ranchers, you know, honestly, I started it because I wanted to use the product, but over the last few years, I've really developed my passion for the land side of the business. Of course, I love the other side too. And I use it all the time, but to me, being able to partner with the people who grow our food, fuel, and fiber and drive incremental profitability. And also through doing that, introduce people to farmers and ranchers and seeing their operations. And you when you read our reviews on our, on our platform, it's, we, we watch them all come through. I mean, you see paragraphs and even though, yeah, it was booked for hunting, they talk about the family, the property, the history, how cool it was to actually see all that stuff. Like, oh yeah. And there was, we shot a whitetail deer or whatever. It's very much an experience. And I, I really want to be clear here. If, you know, if I don't want landowners to think, oh, I don't have it. I don't have 200-inch white-tailed deer, so I, this is probably not for me. We tell sportsmen, if you need to go kill a 200-inch deer, you should hire an outfitter, and you should go do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's great. Land trust is about outdoor experiences. So, you know, uh, I just went to Missouri to a couple of our rant, uh, farms down there, and I got to spend time with some friends and some partners. You know, we got to grill, we got to sleep, you know, sleep on the farm in an RV. We got the fish. We were turkey hunting. I actually shot my first turkey, which was exciting. Um, but it's about going to a new place with some friends or family um, to have new experiences and create memories. That's what it's about. It's about experiences, not about outcomes. We do have people come to us and they're very um, trophy driven and we guide them elsewhere because it's just not what we're he- what we're here for. Now, don't get me wrong. We absolutely have properties on land trust where that stuff can happen. But the motivation is is
0: different. Good stuff. Good stuff. Was well, there anything that I've forgotten to ask you today?
1: Oh, we have covered a lot here. Um,
0: is there anything you want to ask me?
1: Yeah, I would be curious how you... See recreation playing into your. I mean, as a regenerative. I mean, you would can. Would you call yourself a regenerative rancher? I know it's kind of a buzzy term now.
0: Uh I mean, I guess I kind of have to. Um, until yeah. figure out another term that we yeah. can use until you know somebody else steals it. Uh, <laughs> a holistic land manager. I I think we've already like. Well, maybe we just have. To, we'll have to bring that one back. You know, there's just probably a few of them we'll have to have in a rotation anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I, and really, I could go either way on you know the the outreach and the tours and telling people what I'm doing. I mean, some days, yeah. like some days, it's like, yeah, if somebody showed up in the driveway, I could spend all day talking to them. And then there's just days where it's like, I don't want to see anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a lot of things, yeah. but, you know, it's, yeah, it's very important to. To connect consumers back with their food, Uh, so I'm I'm in my mid 40s. You're probably you're probably pretty fairly close to there. I'm guessing mid 30s. I turned 35 this year. Yeah, Uh, and I'm getting old. Um, Feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Look, wait a minute. Years. It was. uh, I believe it was. Oh, let's just say it was like back in the nineties, there was a sign on the, on the interstate in Kansas. And I'm, I remember seeing that sign it says one Kansas farmer feeds 76 people and then it was 114 and then it was 140 wow. and now it's like 160. And that just, that really speaks to the disconnection that people mm. have, not just with their food, but to land. Absolutely. Um, so it was like when I was when I was in school in the mid '80s, it was um, mid '80s and '90s. I think it was like one in six still had a family member that was directly connected to farming ranch, whether it was an uncle yes. or grandpa. It was like one in six, and now it's like one in twenty. Yeah, it's it's so much worse now after just two or three decades, like the disconnection and bringing people back, getting people back out on the land that you know maybe have lost that connection lost the connection not just to their food but to nature um that's right in fact last episode that should have come out before this one um was with with a friend we talked about he was a marine Mm. and he talked about some of his issues with ptsd Mm -hmm. that livestock have really helped him heal and um I probably didn't back him up enough in that episode in that content, but I can 100% say that being around livestock definitely has, has a calming, has a healing effect on, you know, on my, on my stress, on my post-traumatic stress. And I think about how many combat veterans there are and how many, just how many, just guys that served for 40 years and never, never heard one go off in anger, but still had to deal with some stuff. Yeah. You know, there's probably a lot of people that are just that don't have the connection in nature, don't have the connection to the land. Um, You know, there's or the people who steward the land. Well, and people like, oh, well, I got to go get grounded. I need to go take off my shoes and walk around for a while outside. Like. That's just the weirdest shit I've ever heard. Like you have <laughs> to go do that. on. Like you have to. It takes effort to go do that. Like that's just something yeah. I do whenever I want. Yeah, it's Living there in Bozeman, me living in Sun City, like it, it's hard for us to have a concept of what it's like for the person that's listening to this living in the filing cabinet in Southern California or Chicago yes. or Kansas City or yeah. Boston or New York. You know, your life is in a building, as in a thousand square foot space that you have in a building, and you can go and you can do everything you need to do in life and never have to touch dirt. This seems like a pretty clean lifestyle, crazy. but it's, it's really it's like crazy. <laughs> the other way. You know, it's. Yes. And I did, I lived that way for about a decade in my
1: twenties. I lived on, you know, in airplanes and cities and hotels. And that's where I, I, you know, I grew up outdoors with my feet in the sand or the dirt, so to speak. And that's why I, I live where I live now. And I, I'm building this business that I'm building because it really does facilitate more people to be able to do that thing and on ground that is stewarded by people who've been doing it for generations and you want to talk about sustainability that buzzy buzzword that you know a lot of people who never had their you know feet in the dirt so to speak um, you know a, a family being on a place for six generations which i think is our oldest current landowner is about six generations it seems pretty sustainable to me We've had like, you know, the Audubon Society go out there and say, we've seen more of this species of bird than we've seen on quote protected areas. And that's a cattle rancher who doesn't even know what the bird is. So, you know, I I think from a high level, you know, we're kind of we're working on our new, I'd be curious to get your perspective too, but we're working on our new kind of updated mission statement. And where I've landed is, you know, land trusts exist to enable the enjoyment, profitability, and sustainability of America's undeveloped private lands. And that's really, I think it distills what we are aiming to do. And, you know, we care a lot about that mission. You know, I love to hunt and fish and do all those outdoor stuff, but frankly, those are hobbies. What I'm deeply passionate about and care a lot about is making sure that working in undeveloped lands stay that way. They don't, I mean, shoot, I live in what was a wheat field on Google maps (laughs) until last year, you know? And so hey, once it gets developed, it's never going back. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a subdivision turn
0: back into undeveloped land. I haven't seen that either. I mean, We see <clears> that. But I can also see there's a lot of, not a lot, there are small towns, small communities across the western plains. Sure. Between Interstate 35 and the Front Range. Yeah. Like, there's just huge strip in there that Everybody's it, people have moved out of, and I see it more in Eastern Colorado where mm. you can see where the town border is and you can see where it was and where there used yeah. to be houses. So, to say that you know, we haven't seen subdivisions raised to the ground and go back in and farm that land, just because we haven't seen it, and it's not any part of the paradigm that we've experienced the last 50 years doesn't sure. mean it didn't happen in a lot of communities up and down the plains, you know, in the, in the 1930s and the 1950s. For sure. So
1: Yeah, but- it's definitely not something we see today. Uh, uh, it would be interesting, actually. It'd be an interesting project for someone to work on. Obviously, I can't uh, take on anything else, but to identify these opportunities, like, hey, you know what? That Dollar General just didn't work out. What if we turn it back into a,
0: you know some pasture or some crop or something <laughs> oh man there's a that's a can of worms that'd be a good uh, that'd be an interesting business model of figuring out
1: i don't know how you make money from it but it would be it would be a societal good i think
0: what no i okay i, I get it but just just figuring out a plan just having a plan to to convert all the dollar generals and all the family <laughs> to
1: <something> else <laughs> they pop up everywhere there's a lot of memes about it it's pretty crazy where those things end up
0: oh man uh uh, like three weeks ago we took a little trip down to the southeast oklahoma and then up through western arkansas to northwest arkansas i and we we stayed off the interstate we didn't even go we didn't even go more than 10 miles down the interstate stayed completely off of it just because i'm starting to really enjoy back roads i'm starting to really yes. enjoy back roads at 45 and just being able to see yes. scenery and cruise it. we it started to be a joke like if we'd go more than about five or seven miles without a seeing a dollar general you start looking <laughs> and sure enough like you pop around a corner come over a hill and like an intersection there it is in 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 nowhere northwest arkansas just across roads without even a freaking stop sign and somebody's building a dollar general there (laughs) it's incredible it's incredible just just ridiculous just ridiculous so uh
1: kansas last kansas question for you do you say the arkansas river
0: yeah it's arkansas river but don't don't, don't say that because they'll throw things at you
1: that's what I figured. Yeah, I, I had to learn that as uh, my brother in I was driving me around because he lives down there by it.
0: Yeah, it's the Arkansas River.
1: Yeah, so, for, for everyone visiting Kansas, the Arkansas, not the Arkansas
0: River. Yeah, if you say the Arkansas River, people would just like they'll ignore you. They won't even <laughs> like, you'll just get ignored. Nobody will even know what you're talking about. If you say Arkansas, Arkansas River. Yeah, you've identified yourself yep you've you've outed yourself at that point so be prepared there might be guns and knives coming out (laughs) well nick i gotta get going um it's been awesome this morning and if i haven't i really appreciate you having me on all right so landtrust.com got your phone number we'll make sure that gets in the show notes uh anywhere else Mm -hmm. we want to send traffic
1: i think that's the main spot i mean we have some social media pages uh that you can go to and land trust um one of the Instagram is like hunt. It's, a, it's our hunt oriented land, you know, land trust page, but it has, I don't know, we're up to like maybe 10,000 followers there now, but the website for landowners for all intents and purposes, everything you need is there. You can talk to us in Texas, however you like to communicate. We'd love to
0: communicate with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um it's been a great conversation today, Nick. I really appreciate really it. really
1: appreciate it. Yeah. Vice versa.
0: And I guess we'll go ahead and sign off and gang have a great week.